walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody, settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, and this art is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Apron Bump Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle, aka the hardest part of the ring. We got some TNA action for you today, or I guess just TN, TN action, TNA for you. We got some, <laughs> No Surrender 2005 is the event we will be reviewing today. And if you are a new listener, by the way, or if you're a frequent listener and you just don't know about this because you don't listen to the end of my episodes, yeah, piece of garbage. But I, just kidding. But uh, if you're a new listener or if you enjoy these kind of TNA reviews, feel free to visit ApronBump.com. You'll find all my episodes there. You'll find all my social media. But you can also filter all of my episodes to the promotion or to the era that you're interested in. In this case, you can go to ApronBump.com, click on the Episodes tab, select TNA, and that'll bring you to all of my TNA reviews that I have done thus far. Started at Victory Road 2004, their first three-hour pay-per-view. And have reached the point of July 17th, 2005. Where we're at with this episode. No Surrender 2005. Uh, probably from all the shows I've watched. Because this has got to be, what, the 10th episode or something that I've done on TNA? No Surrender 2005 might be the best show I've watched yet for a variety of reasons. I mean, uh, for one, there's no Jeff Jarrett on this car. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's not, but he's sprinkled throughout the show in various segments. So can't get away with no Jeff Jarrett on the show, but uh, no Jeff Jarrett match on this show. And that might bring you to ask the question, well, if Jeff Jarrett's not on the card, who's who's main eventing for the title? Well, it's Raven versus Abyss in a dog collar match. Man, how fast things change. Only a few shows ago, we had Jeff Jarrett versus AJ Styles, you know, in just a pure wrestling match. But now we got these two psychopaths choking each other with chains and putting each other through thumbtacks and tables and... It's a lot of insanity to close out the show. But otherwise, I mean, I say this is the best show I've seen so far with TNA because it's embracing what made TNA so great. And that's the X Division. Lots and lots of X Division on this show. 
but in meaningful intentful ways you know it's not just ex- it's not just flips and flops for the sake of flips and flops like they're they all there's lots of unique stories and storyline structures that are going on and the, the show just flows really well among anything else the show there's not a lot of dead space on this show you can argue that maybe that's because uh, Dusty Rhodes is gone. The director of authority, you know, both the uh, on-screen character and Dusty Rhodes, the the booker, the, you know, whatever his title was. Dusty Rhodes is out of here. Um, so you see a changing of the guard in a way the show is structured. And even the way, you know, matches, the individual matches themselves are structured. So, but in a positive way. So really good show here, but of course, it's TNA, man. There's still so much to make fun of. But, <laughs> I mean, we get, we get into the, the fall of Triton. We get into the rise of David Young. More v- fucking voodoo kin mafia. I mean, I'm sorry. More three live crew nonsense. Handcuffs. Elix Skipper botching all over the place. There is a lot of silliness on this show, but it's all threaded along with good, good wrestling. And to help recap No Surrender 05, traveled all the way to the Philippines. Got Joseph Monticilio to come on the show. Awesome, awesome guest. Had such a fun time with Joseph. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Joseph Weirdness. You can go to uh, his YouTube, which I'll link in the description as well, Joseph Monticilio. And you can find his website, josephmonticilio.wordpress.com. All of that info in the description, like I said. Uh, it does a lot of great YouTube videos, video essays on uh, both the past and present and on a lot of unique content. Uh, independent stuff like Ring of Honor, TNA, but also a big thing that he's doing right now is uh, a 1990s All Japan retrospective where he kind of goes through that era, touches on a lot some of the key matches and does some other match reviews of all, all kinds of eras and all kinds of wrestlers. So go check him out. Lots of awesome content from Joseph. Uh, does all, some articles on fanbite.com as well. Tons of stuff. Go to his website and check out all the stuff he's doing. Uh, was a perfect guest to cover this era of wrestling, this alternative of the 2000s. So with that, let's get into it. TNA No Surrender 2005 with myself and Joseph Monticilio. But yeah, you said this, so they aired TNA in the Philippines, were you been, mm-hmm. were you watching during this time in two thousand five? No, no, no. I started rest. I started watching wrestling at around two thousand six, so I wouldn't have seen it in 05. And in 06, of course, that was mostly just WWE, mm-hmm. um, Raw, SmackDown, all those pay per views. But I'm pretty sure they were airing TNA locally on a channel called Star World, and okay. I definitely would have seen the ads and stuff around that time so i yeah. was pretty i'm pretty sure i knew it existed even if i wasn't watching it that's great yeah because tna in 2005 you know it almost feels like there's still like an indie promotion at some times sure but it's cool that they have such a reach that you know they're obviously in orlando florida but there is you know 
like Jeff Jarrett would go and defend his title in Japan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the NWA title, so it has a lot of cachet to it. But um, that's cool that it's it's spread all around the world, at least at this point, or even at this point. Yeah, it's 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 actually kind of wild uh, that we got TNA at all. Like, um, yeah. I don't even know if we get AEW right now. So really? that TNA had that reach is kind of crazy. Man. Um, I, I, I don't have cable right now. Like, I disconnected since I watch everything online. But, uh, um, same here. Same here. Maybe someone maybe someone who's uh, a Filipino is listening right now can tell me whether they're airing Dynamite locally. But I honestly don't think they are. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess uh, Mikey Bats is better than Kenny Omega is, is, what, you're, is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> there is some... Yeah, there's some Filipino out there in the world who has, like, some... Buried memories of Mikey Batson has no idea. Who <laughs> They're all That's buried. That's just statistically true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, man, No Surrender 2005. So you were able to, to catch a show? Yes. Yeah, I saw the whole thing. Uh, really good show, actually. I quite. I agree. It. I really enjoyed it. Because even, even me, because I'm watching all these shows chronologically. I started in at Victory Road in 2004 and mm-hmm. I worked my way through. But even, you know, all the pay-per-views I've watched so far, this is probably towards the top as far as quality. I think it was just a really good show from start to finish, I thought. This is like peak TNA. Like, this is really mm-hmm. when they're kind of firing off on all cylinders and things haven't gotten too silly yet. You know, yeah. they still have a lot of goodwill from a lot of fans because they're bringing in all these people. Like, they had that, they had kind of that perfect mix you want for a TV company where you kind of have that crop of really promising uh athletic young mm-hmm. guys and then a mix of those uh like really recognizable names at the top so it was just kind of the stars lining up for them yeah i agree they're really revving up at this point and it's interesting uh dusty Rhodes just left like a month before this and you can really tell like if you watch one show and then the next because the way for the stars that are utilized for one are different because no longer are we getting Kevin Nash and DDP in the main event. We got, mm-hmm. you know, Raven and Abyss, who are both... Even Raven is fairly young at this point. Abyss is a new guy. He's, like, five years into the business or something like that. Um, and then you got all the X Division stuff, like, all throughout the show. You get, like, several, like, high-profile X Division matches, which ultimately is kind of what gives them that buzz and what gives them that cult following against the WWE is... Providing uh, a product that WWE is not providing. You know, uh-huh. you can watch Rene Dupree over here, but we got fucking Chris Saban versus Samoa Joe over here. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, uh, which which do you want? Man, I wonder wonder which one prefers. It's, it's really tough. But but you can't, I, th- I believe they are still, because TNA just lost their deal with uh, Fox Sports uh, Net, and they're airing their impacts on their website. So this is still before Spike. I think once they go to Spike is really like when they start like going full because f- that's when like Sting comes in, Christian comes mm-hmm. in, Kurt Angle, all that stuff. But still, I agree. As far as just like wrestling, this is probably this is arguably peak TNA right here what we're watching. But yeah, man, just right to the show. And I I always say this, but man, TNA and their intro pack video packages are like better. Oh, they're great. They're so good, dude. They're excellent. Like I don't even. Know. I, I I don't know. I don't know the exact guy, but I think uh, they had someone working backstage who was, uh, kind of who used to produce the hype videos in the Attitude Era or something like that. I think yes. that's something I heard. I, I think I heard that on like Eric Bischoff's 
podcast or something. But I, I believe you're right. And that would make sense because that's why they're so good. And even the voiceover, I always, I always forget his name, the voiceover guy. The uh, talks like this, this guy. Yeah, he's iconic, honestly. <laughs> he's... Like, he's such a big part of the presentation. Yeah. Uh, I did a quick Google. Barry Scott. Barry Scott, that's uh, what it is. Would Thank be you. his name. Rest in peace. Yes. Um, but this intro package here, it's... I don't know, know if it necessarily makes a lot of sense when you look into it, but it's basically like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> our future is born in the past. You have all this text on the screen. And yeah. then the, the voiceover going backwards Dude, and stuff. That was yeah, so it was great. Weird. It was like, I don't know what's going on, but I love I love what's happening in front of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those those hype packages that TNA used to put together uh, in that kind of era of the company, they, they always suggested like such a... Scale, like mm-hmm. everything was huge Epic. and major. Yep. Like they would cut the footage of the wrestlers together with like these just giant satellite dishes, like broadcasting Ooh. the largest wrestling possible out to the world. It was crazy. The, I, the I, whole I, universe is watching mm-hmm, Alex mm-hmm. Shelley wrestle. Like, do you think so? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um. But yeah, the Alex Alex Shelley is in our opening match, so we got a tag team match. Alex Shelley and Shane, not Michael Shane, Shane versus America's Most Wanted, the team of Chris Harris and James Storm. Um, it's like a fun little precursor to uh, Beer Money versus Machine Guns here. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with their rivalry, but man, they would spend years. That was around the time. That was around the time that I started watching TNA again. Okay, like I was really. I was following a lot of TNA in like 2009, early 2010s. Gotcha. So that's I was time to right get in. in there with like peak beer money. Yeah, that, that's another arguable era. That's like peak TNA. Um, but yeah, this match here, it's kind of an opening match, kind of a random match. They're really building it as a super kick versus super kick. So we have Michael Shane. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. You a big Michael Shane fan? Who? <laughs> <laughs> that is the so, correct answer. <laughs> I've not seen a lot of Michael Shane. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm sure someone has done a big Michael Shane deep dive. Will correct me. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're aware, and I don't know know if they even mentioned it in the show, which is surprising. But Michael Shane is the cousin of Shawn Michaels. Yes. And that is literally that's he. The that's only who he is. Thing I know about him. That's all anybody <laughs> knows about him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's no, no longer Michael Shane. He's being built as just Shane, but then he eventually mm-hmm. becomes Mike Bentley. So I guess they're trying to kind of separate him from that Shawn Michaels. I'm Shawn Michaels family kind of thing. But, sure. Um, that makes sense. Ultimately he's still doing the super kick and the elbow and looks like Shawn Michaels and walks like Shawn, like he's just mini Shawn Michaels at the end of the day. But, uh, yeah, they're building it as a super kick versus super kick. So you have Michael Shane versus James Storm's super kick. And that's yeah. that's really the only underlying story here, other than just kind of get these guys. America's Most Wanted is a, still a really hot act at this point in TNA, and Alex Shelley is fresh off of returning, so he's still pretty new to the audience. And man, Alex Shelley is so good, man. You know what? You know what really stood out to me in this match is I was listening to uh, Mike Tenay's commentary, and like two minutes into the match, he goes, "Alex Shelley right now is 22 years old," and Dude. I was like, "Oh my." God god because this is oh five alex shelley so mm-hmm. he's already done a lot of stuff like oh four was huge for mm-hmm. him in roh yeah 
He had Generation Next, you know. This this would be 05, so he has stuff like uh, the heel turn, the embassy, and it's like, what? At 22, to be this good. Like, yeah. this generation of guys is just crazy. The amount of talent that was going around at this time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good... I, I didn't even think of all his ROH stuff that he had done before this. I mean... Because TNA and ROH kind of had a fluid relationship at this point, which definitely benefited their product for sure. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Alex Shelley has already done so much and he still has so much to do after this. But um, yeah, this match, it's real weirdly like a lot of fighting on the outside, which I didn't expect. Uh, James Storm does a cra- a stage dive onto Alex Shelley. They like fight towards the stage and it's like, yeah. okay, James, I see you. Like that, that famous Kurt Angle spot. It was basically that. Sure. But- but cowboy style, I guess. I don't know. Um, it was fun. I was I was thinking they were going to do like just a normal southern tag with like an extended heat and stuff. But yeah. then they threw in the the brawling on the outside, which was pretty fun. Uh, I liked I liked how Tracy kind of got involved. Mm-hmm. I liked her little heel shenanigans. I thought it added a, a decent amount to it. So it, it was a good, a good choice to start the show with something this like really easy to watch incredibly digestible nice and quick yeah i agree um you into handcuffs at all (laughs) (laughs) anybody listening to this without watching the shows like what the fuck did he just ask him (laughs) what a what a question (laughs) for a first conversation well well, it's not a date no um no but uh, you, you brought up tracy and all her heel shenanigans so uh this prompts Chris Harris to pick her up and handcuffed her to the ring post. Kinky, kinky. But then um, this doesn't stop her. So I was confused at Tracy's outfit, right? I was, mm-hmm. I was honestly very distracted by it the entire match, if I'm going to be honest. But so she has like a, a white uh, cutoff hoodie that and then yes. uh, a, a zebra print skirt and then like heels i don't know what you call these heels they're like sc- like platform platform yeah shape. they look like they belong to like a schoolgirl like outfit but they're like mixed in with other stuff so it's like that man. was always kind of her thing was kind of the schoolgirl look if i'm remembering I correctly i guess that's what heel women were in this era am i correct i really cannot <laughs> remember at all but you know what i do remember when she came out for this match uh, there was a spot early on when the brawling was kind of starting where one of AMW was kind of chasing her around the ring. Mm-hmm. And I saw that her heels were just like two, three inches off the ground. I was like, wow, that's really impressive. Yeah. She could run in those. And I, I, I was like, damn, she's out there wearing platforms. And then later on, it actually paid off. So that, right. I thought that was a nice, just a subtle little thing to add to the match. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I knew there had to be a reason that she had these big ass shoes on. So she's handcuffed to the ring post, but she takes her shoe off and throws it to Michael Shane, who hits Chris Harris with it uh, for a two count. So Tracy tries again, takes her other shoe off and throws it to him. But this time Harris ducks, hits him with a full Nelson slam. Uh, Alex Shelley tags in, kind of flips over Michael Shane as he jumps into the ring. And but he runs right into a super kick from James Storm. And that gives AMW the win. Uh, but then Michael Shane super kicks James Storm and then just runs away. So they both hit their super kicks, everybody. We we wrapped it up nicely. <laughs> gotta keep them both hot. Gotta gotta protect the super kick at all costs. It's, dude, you couldn't do this storyline nowadays because. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh. I'm waiting for the inevitable uh, Shane versus Generation Me match. Ooh. Ooh. Like, you know what? Thinking about it, that sounds like something Impact might try to pull for like a random Slammiversary in 2022 or something. A hundred percent. They're always pulling for one of those kind of weird nostalgia pairings. I'm telling you, nobody but me and you are going to know who Michael Shane is if they bring him out. <laughs> <laughs> Big money Michael Shane. Who? Drawing the pay-per-views, man. <laughs> the heartbreak man, Michael Shane. What's up? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like you said, digestible match, easy. Got the crowd hot, and that's really all you can ask for in an opening match. Um, but then afterwards, they cut to a, uh, a segment that I guess happened before the show, in the pre-show or something, where Mike Tanay and Jeff Jarrett are going back and forth in the ring on the mic. Jeff Jarrett is uh, he he's perturbed. He, he's 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 angry because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but he's not on the card, which is very it's crazy in this era for Jeff mm-hmm. Jarrett to not be on the card. Um, and Jeff is basically suggesting that TNA has kind of been a revolving door and that he thinks uh, that people coming in are going to make people leave because we've seen like Jeff Har- Jeff Hardy came in and he left and you have Scott Hall came in and he left and people like that. You got Samoa Joe coming in. He has he didn't leave, but you have new people coming in very constantly in this era. So he's mad because it's it's a big rumor that Rhino is gonna debut on this show. I wonder if Rhino's gonna be in the building. I wonder. Damn. And I, what I didn't a mystery. <laughs> all the fucking the gore signs all yeah. over the impact zone. It's like wait, I guess I guess Ryan Rhino comes on him the show. I didn't know. But um he's basically asking where Rhino is, Jeff Jarrett is, and then Mike Tanay is like, he's in the building. So they're basically just building to an eventual, uh, eventual Rhino debut here, um, which comes into play later, folks. But uh, then they cut backstage to Shane Douglas, who is interviewing Team Canada. And they're just uh, being Canadian, I guess I'll describe this. <laughs> <laughs> you big Team Canada fan? I, I know they're probably like a little before your time in watching TNA. Yeah, a little bit. Um... I don't have too much uh, love for them just because I've not really seen their stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they're all generally all right, though. Like, everyone who was in the team was were people I could probably would have enjoyed watching at the time, especially in this kind of spot yeah. where they're just kind of like a mid-card heel team. I think that was a really good place for them to kind of shine, especially yeah. with, like, a, a stable gimmick. You know, it works. It gets them on TV. Mm-hmm. It gives them space to work with each other in tag settings where you can like kind of hide your flaws if there are any it's good stuff. right yeah exactly they're just a solid heel team i think that's always a good thing to have um i don't know if you guys in the philippines hate canadians as much as americans apparently do <laughs> i don't know i've no, never i've never like gotten worked up about a canadian in my life but. absolutely not we're all everyone's here is trying to immigrate to either the states or canada so right. we're just in love with it completely. yeah <laughs> makes sense um but then uh, yeah, Jeff Jarrett interrupts, suggests that because there's a lot of TNA originals in this group. So he's like, hey, guys, we got to stick together because people are going to come into this company and replace us. And I think they eventually form like a big faction later down the mm-hmm. line, but uh, pretty much planting seeds for that. But uh, next match, we have a Super X Cup qualification match. So this is your uh, kind of the X Division scramble type of match that you would typically see on these pay-per-views. So it's going to be an eight-man tournament eventually, and the winner will get a title match at Sacrifice. The numbers don't lie. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so we got uh, 
Elix Skipper versus Shark Boy versus Sanjay Dutt versus Mikey Bats. And apparently, so at the, thus far, Mikey Bats has just been the uh, the guy. He's just like a I don't know a white guy that they add in. He's a pretty undescript. Not a lot of he he, he bumps really well. But he has he's had no character at this point. But I guess they're kind of giving him a little something. He comes out with like a like a uh, like almost like a gold dust like suit with a sleeveless gold dust or Dustin Rhodes, I guess, like suit um, with a jacket. He, he seems like he's acting like a heel. But I've been watching all the impacts leading up to this. And I really don't remember seeing him. Maybe it was like on one of their explosion or one of those shows. But uh, maybe. But that's what Mikey Bats is at right now um i'm looking at my notes for this match and literally all i have for mikey bats is this literally the only mention of him i have on these notes is bats a little fumbly (laughs) (laughs) not the smoothest guy uh working the x division style you know um they really wanted that kind of incredibly smooth Mm -hmm. fast-paced uh work rate match and uh bats definitely uh stood out uh, in this particular group of guys. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but not in a good... I was actually going to ask you that, who no. stuck out to you, but that was just a negative. <laughs> not in a good way. Sorry, Mikey Bats. But I'll actually... You said he was fumbly. But man, I think this match might have been the end of Eli Skipper here. Because oh. uh, he... I'm just guessing. Because he he had that crazy spot that everybody knows where he walked the cage. Did that her and Conrana on to uh, James Storm. And he's kind of been playing off that. He has a, a move that he does where he sets somebody up in the corner and he walks from the other corner, walks the rope and does the Rana on the guy. But mm-hmm. he botches that badly in this match. Like it looked brutal. The spot he, like he like landed on the apron, like back neck first. And then he botched like a few other things, too. I, I, I the that tightrope perk and Rana. I know the one you're talking about. It was really um it was really bad, and I think, I think what makes it worse uh, for that particular spot is in my head. All I'm thinking of is, oh my god, what if this had been the cage? Yes. And like that just kept running through my mind, and it's like someone could have died <laughs> if he had botched that in that moment. So uh, it, it was <laughs> definitely a moment that stood out for uh, negative reasons as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, this match, it's actually like not as hectic as I imagined it was be. It was actually very smooth, even though we're kind of talking about all all these botches, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. it flowed pretty smoothly. I thought, because you basically have uh, two people in the ring and you got to tag out. So the constant, like, you know, people would hit, you know, go one-on-one and then they would like, somebody would take a bump and then go and tag somebody. I thought that flowed really well. Um, but eventually Elix Skipper hits his, uh, his finisher, the you remember what it was called? Like the, the Emerald Flosion move? It's not the play of the day. I not. It's some, whatever it is. I not remember at all. Uh, white noise, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> but uh, he hits it on to Mikey Bats. And then uh, Shark Boy does the Dead Sea drop onto Elix Skipper. But Elix Skipper, he like blocks it, but he still sells it. I don't know if you caught this, but it didn't look <laughs> yeah. like it connected. At, like he held onto the ropes because it's like a a flipping uh, stunner off the turnbuckle, right? But Mm -hmm. he blocks it. It doesn't connect at all, but Elix Skipper, like, falls to the outside like he just got shot out of a cannon. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Then, uh, but then Sanjay, 
who capitalizes on Mikey Bats being knocked out. He hits a Hindu press onto Mikey, which is basically like a Phoenix splash. Lands knee first onto Mikey's face. You know, watching it, I was like, oh my God, what was that? Like he just, I thought he like stomped dude right in the face. And I I was saying to myself, man, I don't remember Sanjay being like that insane. And then when they called it the Hindu press, it was like, oh, okay. He just messed it up. He landed wrong. Right. Do I see like, because Amazing Red does a similar move especially in this era. And it's the same thing. It's always like really hectic looking and it like almost always misses, but it's like when it lands, it lands, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanjay hits the Hindu press and gets the win and moves on to the tournament. Uh, I love seeing Sanjay get the win here. It seems like he was always kind of like not quite at the top, but he was always like a really reliable guy in the X division. Um, but yeah, like I said, this match pretty much showcased what made TNA, TNA unique at this point. Uh, for yeah. sure and uh we bring up a lot of those kind of off moments but it, it really it, it is a good match at the end of the day like you mentioned mm-hmm. that it used the roh uh tag style of the four-way and yeah. that's just a great stipulation in my mind it really keeps things moving there's a little bit of like psychology that goes behind it like early on sanjay didn't want to tag anyone in he was just trying to get the mm-hmm. win and um I, I think it's just something that TNA used to do really well. It's just set up these X Division guys for success. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And they were always like a main focal point of all the pay-per-views and all the builds. Um, like they, they did a good job at making it not feel like a mid-card title. It just felt like its own separate thing. Uh, but we're back backstage here. More Shane Douglas because I knew you needed more of them. Uh, <laughs> he's interviewing R-Truth and Conan. Two members of Three Live Crew. Uh, their third member, BG James, Road Dog, is uh, there's a bit of a hostility within this group, which has been going on for God knows how long at this point. <laughs> yeah, oh. they were showing a few recaps and hype videos, and I was like, man, just I was imagining just multi month DX drama in Ooh. TNA 05. That's wild. <laughs> it's. Let me. It is like that's hap- a choice. <laughs> it's. I mean, look. You got the new age outlaws. Maybe they. Maybe they still got some. You get you wring some water out of them a little, mm-hmm. because you have uh, the the outlaw debuting a few months ago. Um, I think it's a match later in the show. But he's now Kip James, oh and uh, but yeah, there's, <laughs> we'll 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 get we'll get to we'll that. get there. Yeah, we'll hold your load for that one. We're, we'll get to that one. But uh, because we gotta get, we gotta talk about some Apollo and Sonny Siaki in this next match. It's a tag match. You have those two gentlemen versus the team of David Young and Simon Diamond. Uh, before we get into this match, I gotta ask you: Are you a big Triton fan? <laughs> I can't say that I am. <laughs> Sorry. No. I'm gonna ask everybody until somebody knows who Triton <laughs> is. <laughs> Because um, so Triton debuted right. He's he's this big. Don't don't bother Wikipediaing him because I'm gonna tell you okay. his enti- I'm, I'm gonna tell you his entire wiki right here for so, sure. So he tell he debuts at I believe it was Destination X back in March mm-hmm. of 2005, and he's this, he's this big jacked up dude with a weirdly tiny head. So he's he's just tall. He's big, and that's all he's he's got to him. He's got kind of like an Undertaker esque gimmick to him, where he like will disappear. Um, but he had one match against Monty Brown at that pay-per-view and it was the shits. 
So yeah, they basically that was basically the end of Triton. He they threw sure. him, and I bring it up because they they threw him in a tag team with Simon Diamond. So it's basically like Simon Di- Diamond was his wrangler of sorts. Like you know, Triton stood in the background. Um, they tagged for a few weeks on Impact, but apparently, like right before this pay per view, they released Triton. I guess his contract came to an end or something, and he was like, "Yo, we got other big guys. You have a tiny head." Why don't you just get out of here? Uh, <laughs> so I'm paraphrasing what they probably said, but it's probably pretty sure. close to that. In um, comes David Young. Who, who better to replace Triton, am I right? Who better to Absolutely. replace a seven-foot jacked-up dude than a guy that looks like create a wrestler number one? Uh, <laughs> Default. <laughs> yeah. Just a bald guy. Moderately built. Uh, looks like He looks like, like the toughest guy at a barbecue, David Young. Sure. Um, but his whole gimmick, David Young's, is that he loses all the time. So, like, he never wins. He's on, like, a two-year two, two year losing streak or something. So the premise here is that Simon Diamond is here to untap that potential that David mm-hmm. Young has. Uh, I hope it goes well. Well, let me tell you this. Simon tells us that David can bench 400 pounds. So that means he's going to win this wrestling match, I guess. Um, when he's like the third most, he's the third most jacked guy in this match when there's four For people sure. in there. So it's like, and it's, you know, they put Simon on the mic to open this match. Yeah. And like one of the first things out of his match is my partner has not won a match. <laughs> and it's like, is that what you want to be telling us, Simon? Right at the start of your big match. I don't think that's kind of the messaging you want to get across right now. Well, hey, but but that's only because he hasn't had the leadership that Simon Diamond can provide, you see. The brains of the organization. It's Diamonds in the Rough is apparently, uh, I guess he's building a faction, maybe. Or maybe it's just going to be David Young. I hope it is. But um, the match gets underway. Not a lot to it. I mean, David Young almost hibuses himself at the beginning with a moonsault to the outside. Um, and this part made me laugh. So Don West, they're talking about Apollo and Sonny Siaki, which for anybody listening who isn't aware of these two, basically think of The Rock times two. Um, and Don West is basically going off on how, you know, Apollo is just the pure power guy, like just just a big, you know, strong dude. But Sonny Siaki has all the athleticism. And then right on cue, as he's saying this, Apollo just dives, does a front flip plancha over the rope <laughs> and lands on everybody, lands on his feet. So he's, I love it. Don West is like, oh, let me tell you something, Professor. Uh, uh, Apollo, uh, he has no, he's a big bumbling idiot. Uh, uh, oh my God. Don, Don West deals. And then Apollo just fucking just cart, just Cirque des Dolays over the ropes. Very smoothly. I love that. Dantes is way on out when, there. I love when commentary has just no idea yeah. <laughs> what is going on, like what's meant to be happening. You know, there was a yeah. really similar situation just today. Like um, I was watching some of SmackDown from earlier today. Yeah. And there's a great moment where Finn Balor is in the opener with Sami Zayn and Pat McAfee goes, oh, Finn Balor, he's just made his return to SmackDown. He might be dealing uh, with some ring rust. <laughs> and then Michael Cole just comes in and is like, well, actually, he's been competing at an extremely high level at NXT. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> we just completely Damn. forgot 
there was another show. But yeah, that's another great example of uh, commentary, just not, yeah. <laughs> not kind of knowing what's going on in the ring. But it gives it a sense of realism, I guess, in a way. Um, but what, what did you think of the commentary throughout this show? I've, I've always loved the, the combination of Don West and Mike Tanay. I absolutely adore uh, this commentary team, honestly. They're one of my yeah. favorite pairings um, ever. I think Don West, you know, he used to get a lot of flack. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved the sincerity that he brought. I loved the excitability he brought, which you kind of needed because Tanae is a little dry, a little matter yeah. of fact about things. So I thought they complemented each other pretty much perfectly. Agreed. No, Mike Tanae, I mean, they called him the professor because he knew so much. And... He really added a lot to even like like mid card who gives a fuck matches like this. He would mm-hmm. work really hard to like kind of lay out the backstory of each person, why this match matters. And then Don West, I like always kind said. of appreciated that about TNA is yeah. that um, especially with this commentary team, they really always had their working boots on yeah. trying to make everything meaningful, um, making the most of, of what they had. So they. Tanae and West for me, always. That's always a plus on any show they're on. For sure. And Don, yeah, like you said, I remember Don West getting a lot of hate, like on the message boards or whatever back. But like I'm watching these shows back and it's like, man, Don West rules, man. Like he's like. He's great. Yeah. Honestly. Like, you know, a lot of people like to talk about commentators today who have like a sense of enthusiasm and joy to them. And honestly, I feel like they're all kind of paling in comparison to Don West. Like that was a guy who was fully in it at mm-hmm. every moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, but this match here, like I said, not too much to it. Um, towards the end, everyone's hitting their finishers. Apollo hits David Young with a, a beautiful sky high. Uh, David Young then hits, or uh, no, Apollo hits it on Simon Diamond. David Young hits Sonny Siaki with a spine buster. But he's not the legal man. David Young isn't, so he can't get the pin here. So Apollo just grabs David Young and gives him a TKO. For the win. So the uh, the tan, jacked up dudes get the win. I guess it's their team name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything else on this match? Uh, I thought it was pretty easily the worst match on the show <laughs> for okay. me. Uh, but even saying that, uh, I thought it was fine. Yeah. You know, it didn't take up too much space. Uh, they were in. They told a quick little story with some, you know, pretty traditional tag heat segment stuff, which is fine on its own. And then they got out of there. So, you know, yeah. perfectly fine tag team match to just, you know, a little break on the show. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like past pay-per-views I've watched, you would get this this caliber of match, but it would last like 15 minutes. So that's a good point that, you know, they didn't stay too long. They did what they had to do and then they got out, um, which is probably not a great thing for those guys. Like, hey, you didn't do it too long. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sonny's like, you know, well, oh, we, we can't all be the best in the world. Yeah. You know, someone's got to fill out the card. Well, look, you gotta, you gotta settle the crowd down for what's gonna happen next. <laughs> Chris Saban versus Samoa Joe. Oh man! So, so you said that last match was the worst on the card, which I, I might agree, but this match I think might have been my match of the night right here. You know, that's fair. That is fair. It's a good pick. Because, um, yeah, Joe is still fresh off of his debut in TNA. This is only a second pay-per-view match. Um, in the beginning, you have Joe dominating with all of his greatest hits. You have all the sentons and his enziguris. And they're basically playing off the fact that Samoa Joe has the size advantage, and Chris Sabin basically kind of grasps this 
And all of his offense, especially at least in the beginning, is all relying on his his quickness. So we see a lot of springboard moves from Chris Saban. He, he has a crazy spring springboard drop kick because Joe is like, mm-hmm. you know, hitting the ropes and he comes back and he has all that momentum. And then Saban just gets shot out of a cannon, just kicks Joe out of the ring. Great intensity from Chris Saban all throughout this match. Uh, he hits another sh- uh, drop kick to the outside off the apron. Uh, they get back in the ring. Saban goes for a cradle shock, but he can't get Joe up. But he does this a few times. He keeps going for it, but Joe is just too big. Uh, Joe counters with a brutal German suplex. Um, there's a great spot here where Joe hits the like that classic Samoa Joe spot where he power bombs Saban. Saban kicks out, but then Joe transitions into the STF. And I, I thought this made me think the match is going to end just because of how mm-hmm. like in the middle of the ring it was and how dire like Joe had all of his body weight on Saban. I was like, there's no way Saban is going to work his way to the ropes, but it's like a, like a minute or two of, you know, Saban crawling, Joe transitioning submission moves. Like he goes from the STF to the cross face, then into like this rings of Saturn type of move. But Saban eventually pivots his hips, gets his feet on the ropes. Uh, Joe goes for a muscle buster in the corner. But Saban slips out and gives him a crazy running powerbomb into the middle of the ring. Like That was wild. Uh, I was yeah. shocked that Saban could actually do that. That was crazy. Yeah, because, like, you know, Joe's on the, on the second rope. So you're thinking, oh, Saban just got to take him and just drop him. But he, he takes mm-hmm. him and sprints and just, just jumps. Just a full-on Liger bomb. Just Wow. It, it was truly spectacular. It's one of the best spots in the match. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then Saban has all this adrenaline behind him. He finally gets Joe up for the cradle shock. But Joe fights out. But Saban then enziguris Joe. And then he goes to the top rope. But Joe kicks his feet out, of, out from under him. Hits the muscle buster. Brutal looking. And uh, locks in the coquina clutch. Saban passes out. Samoa Joe gets the win, and yeah, like I said, this match, this match ruled. I love it. Uh, it's the best wrestler in the world in 2005, um, yeah. basically being told show off with an incredibly capable opponent, and it it it's it's great. Uh, Joe's presentation in 05 in TNA was just pitch perfect. Yeah, just this killer coming in to the X division, which was populated by guys who were mostly like half his size. And he just went in and murdered them all. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, like, that's just booking 101. Uh, I think we were talking about commentary again. There's such a great line at the end where after Saban's passed out, um, Joe keeps the coquina clutch on. And someone on commentary just yells, get him off of there before he kills him. Yeah. And it really put over the kind of threat that they wanted Joe to be in this division. Where, yeah, he had this power and then he hit so hard but when he grabs that coquina clutch on you it's it's lights out and it could yep. even potentially be career threatening just everything about joe in this time period in tna is just absolutely amazing yeah for sure and they they, they build up this coquina clutch because nobody's gotten out of it at this point so uh, that's a very good point it's another layer to the whole thing and samoa joe comes out the, what made this match so great is that samoa joe comes out as you know the dominant guy, but by far he comes out looking like a monster unbeatable force. But Chris Saban also looks really good 
in this match. And he, cause he's, he's going to be a, a constant threat in the X division for years to come. And then obviously we got motor city machine guns, not too far in the future. So I thought both guys came out of this match looking really good. He is. Saban was like hurling himself. He was so, like, so smooth too, Chris Saban. Just full on. And you mentioned like the little stories they were telling in the match, like the constant attempts to get the cradle shock. Can uh-huh. Saban hit it? You know, like it, it's such a it's such a great example. This match of how much you can do in like relative relatively short amount of time. Like this couldn't have gone more than what 13, 15 right. minutes, maybe even less. And they told these little stories. They got over everything they wanted, and they did like crazy stuff. And that's just kind of the level that we were expecting from some of the best stuff in TNA at this time. And to think, to think that all this stuff Joe is doing in TNA at this time isn't even like the ceiling of what he was doing in this year. Insane. Just one of the greatest peaks in wrestling ever. Dude, it's crazy that this is like still his prologue for Samoa. This is still his introduction to the company. Like, Absolutely. Like this match is just... It's just setting up Joe. Like they clearly structured it to be this isn't about real this isn't really about Chris Sabin. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make Joe look like a killer. And it's so excellent. Like the things that he and Sabin did here. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. Um but man, how do you follow that? With Lance Hoyt. <laughs> are you Hoyt, are you, Hoyt, Hoyt. Are you a Hoyt maniac? You know, I can't say that I am. Uh, but they, wow. I'll, I'll give them this. Their, their hype video did uh, a good job of kind of putting it over, like creating this aura around a Lance Hoyt. And I thought he was fine in this match, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about Lance Hoyt, but he's still going strong today. The, the new IWGP US champion, Lance Hoyt, which is... <laughs> if, if it's, I, still, it's still his Twitter name. Is it really? That's it is still amazing. at Lance Hoyt. So I, I love anytime it. AEW has to like put him over on social media on Twitter, they have to say new IWGP <laughs> US heavyweight champion at Lance Hoyt. He hasn't changed it the whole time. Good. It's been over a decade. Hey. <laughs> I think I think we're gonna see Lance Hoyt come back one day. I'm I'm still holding on to hope. <laughs> They have if they can, you know, use all the TNA music and stuff, I'm convinced they can use the, the Lance Hoyt name. <laughs> Even bring bring sure, back his music. Yeah. Fuck it. This put give him the beanie. It's so so 2005, his presentation. I, I love it. Um But we got a six-man tag here. So we got Lance Hoyt and the Naturals versus Team Canada. So Team Canada here is uh Bobby Roode, Eric Young, and A1. Ooh. So, uh, <laughs> God. one of those things <laughs> does not belong in that combination. I mean, TNA did not have a lot of luck in finding capable big men. Sure, <laughs> we yeah. talked about Triton earlier. Now we got A1 here bumbling around like an idiot. Um, but at least you got Bobby Roode and Eric Young to kind of <laughs> be his foundation. So, you, you yeah, brought just it, yeah. hold things down. You brought it up earlier. They got, you know, this whole faction so you can hide people's weaknesses, which. It's very true. It's very true here. Um, but this match gets underway. Uh, so the, the story here, just because I want you to, you know, embrace, you know, what's going on, you know. So Lance Hoyt took out Scott Demore in the previous pay-per-view, who was the uh, the manager of Team Canada. 
gave him a choke slam, ripped his shirt off, gave him a moonsault, and uh, I guess sent him to the hospital with that moonsault. He hasn't been on TV since. <laughs> this is over a month ago. Um, so Team Canada still reeling from it and is trying to push forward without Scott Demore. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, you have the Naturals, who are uh, have a new manager in Jimmy Hart, which is uh, kind of random, but I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, and that comes into play in this match. So the match gets underway. It's kind of back and forth in the beginning. The baby baby faces come out hot. You know, Chase Stevens does a moonsault to the outside onto the Canadians. Lance Hoyt does a suicide dive on everybody. Uh, but eventually we get the old Eddie Guerrero spot here. So Bobby Roode grabs the hockey stick wrapped in a Canadian flag. did you know they're from canada Uh, by the way uh these three guys if you didn't if you weren't aware they're from canada they're canadian dude this is like i don't know the seventh (laughs) the 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 seventh or eighth tna pay-per-view in succession that i've covered and they bring out this goddamn hockey stick wrapped at a canadian flag every (laughs) match And, and at no point is anybody like hey hey fellas Maybe this idea is kind of stupid. Yeah, uh, maybe we could just have a hockey stick or something. You know, they they get we're Canadian. We have the music. We have the red tights. You know what? <laughs> Canadian is like genuinely a gimmick. <laughs> um, yeah. You uh, you know what you it it's true. I let me tell you there is, uh well there was I think he's kind of semi retired now. There was a local independent wrestler here in the Philippines mm-hmm. named I'll get to his name later but anyway he had Canadian blood I'm not sure if he was born in Canada and moved here or something but he had Canadian blood in it TJP so... no, no 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 Batista but the... that's all I got <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish we had Batista here that would have ruled yeah but so his whole thing they really wanted to emphasize his Canadian heritage so he used to come out with like a hockey mask and stuff and like Heat. a hockey jersey and I think his theme song was literally just the Canadian National Anthem or something. That's great. But so here's the best part. His name, his ring name, right? Zayden Trudeau. Ooh. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, can, I can see it now. But everyone loved him because he could do like a 450. And only no, like three guys locally could do a 450. <laughs> it's wild. That's it's great. crazy. Oh, man. The things that get you over. <laughs> Team Canada lives on they do. in the Philippine independent scene. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, but uh, so Bobby Roode grabs this hockey stick and uh, he's about to hit Chase Stevens with it. But the referee's about to turn around. So Bobby Roode throws the stick at Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart grabs it. And the ref sees that Jimmy Hart has this Canadian flag hockey stick. And he's like, hey. Jimmy Hart, why are you going to hit this guy with this Canadian flag hockey stick? So he, the ref kicks him out, and Jimmy Hart's like, ah, wow, baby. And so he just gets out of there. So the spiritual advisor for the Naturals, as they call him, is uh, gone from this match. So they have lost that element of it. So the Canadians take control from that point on. Uh, Hoyt eventually gets the hot tag. The crowd loves Lance Hoyt, man. We could joke about it all we want, but the crowd was into Hoyt for whatever oh, for reason. Sure. That was real. Hoytomania. It was running wild. Hoytomania. God. <laughs> uh, but uh, Lance Hoyt eventually uh, tags out. He clotheslines himself in A1 over the top rope. And this allows Bobby Roode 
Jimmy Hart, man, look, this veteran in the business, rookie mistake here. He leaves his megaphone ringside, uh, which allows Bobby Roode to grab it, and he lays out both the naturals with it, smashes him in the face. This allows Eric Young to pin Chase Stevens for the win. Canadians win. Blame Canada. <laughs> well, there you go. And you know what? It's still a good match. Like, it's yeah, it fine. moves at a pretty decent pace. Um, I like the heel stuff. I like them getting Jimmy Hart ejected. And I thought, you know, we already had Samoa Joe killing dudes uh, before this. So why not have yeah. just a chill six-man tag? Why not? Like, it, it fit right. It was perfectly placed in the card. Yeah. You can only have so much murder in one show, I guess. That, that's a good point. Um, but that being said, we have a no-disqualification street fight. Up next. Oh, the violence. Oh, the, the vi- carnage. The the humanity. Oh, it's just put the kids to bed, everybody. <laughs> this is <laughs> they can't witness this. So we have uh Kip James and Monty Oof. Brown. So newly Kip James. He's no longer the outlaw, which they were calling him before this, which is maybe they realize, hey, maybe that's stupid. So they're calling him <laughs> Kip James here, and basically the premise here is that and they, they have like a little backstage interview before the match and kip is like you know me and me and bg james who is road dog we uh, we went up and down the roads together and uh i loved all of his family you know bullet bob armstrong even once called me like his son so i'm gonna take your last name thanks so he's because he can't just go by kip sop because nobody's gonna be threatened by kip sop so kip james is his new name Monty Brown is his tag team partner, and they're facing off against three live crew, the team of Conan and Ron Killings. Still looking for BG James, so that's kind of like an underlying thing. Um, You brought up the package, like the pre-match package earlier. I gotta say, this has got to be one of the most ADD editing jobs I've ever seen. Oh, it was wild. Like a million things were happening in this video. Did did, did you... (laughs) As somebody who's coming in like cold, did it tell you the story of what's going on here? All I got really was that, you know, uh, Kip has come in and it's kind of playing on BG's loyalties. It's basically which side is BG on. Mm -hmm. And that was like just the main narrative thread that I got. But there was so much in that video package. I remember it Um, just flashing lots of cuts it was it was pretty incoherent at points. Dude, the audio drove me crazy because you had like music, like, you had music and like commentary playing at the same time at like different levels, and you had like constantly switching. And then every once in a while, you would see the letters "truth" appear on the screen with "our truth." Like, <laughs> I, I, anybody <laughs> look, anybody listening to this, if you watch one thing from this show. Watch the pre-match video package for this match because it is all inspiring. You have, you know, uh, BG James, Kip James, Monty Brown. You have, you have, oh my God, and Truth. And it's just like... <laughs> he needs to bring that back. Our truth <laughs> needs to bring back hype videos that just flash his name. Flash his name for no reason. <laughs> yep. Uh, but we're here now. And uh, the match happens. This match is kind of a mess. To put it kindly. Yeah, it's... You have cooking sheets, steel chairs. There's one There's one spot that made me laugh 
out loud where uh, Conan has his cooking sheet. He's about to hit Kip with it, but Kip grabs the referee, Slick Johnson, pulls him in front of him, and Conan just batters him in the face. So good. Oh. So good. Dude. The best part of this whole match is that there are two instances of referee violence. Just <laughs> <laughs> like the referees had their working boots on in this match more than Kip James did. That That is a fact. That is 100% fact. Um, but not a lot to that. Everybody's bleeding for this match. It's like, okay. It's like a five minute match. It feels like, but, uh, uh, Monty Brown ends up hitting a wicked pounce onto Ron killings. And that gives them the win. Uh, but the story here isn't really the match. It's basically what happens after it's kind of what they're building towards because BG James finally comes out towards the end of the match. He doesn't play into the finish, but he kind of comes out to observe everything. And Kip James, after they win, Kip James grabs the mic and he does the old, I got two words for you thing. But it's not suck it. It's my brother. And he points at, did you like that? <laughs> did that tickle your fancy when he said that? Oh, man. Is, TNA uh, 05. <laughs> Samoa Joe. AJ Styles. Kip James. <laughs> Man, that that is uh, it's got everything, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> that's one way to say it. I'm I've just, never heard it like that. That's good. I'm picturing Barry Scott say that, by the way, you have the most athletic athletes in the world and the outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, and the, the worst part is that the hype video gave me the impression that this was taking up just hours of TV yeah. time every week. Uh, wow. To be a fan of Impact in 2005. It took, it took a lot of, uh, a lot of patience, maybe. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you had, uh, so Kip is like, my brother. And he points to BG. So he asked BG James to come to the ring with him. Ron Killings is still laid out. So Kip grabs a chair hands it to BG James and tells him, hey, you're with me now. Hit your partner with this chair. BG's, he has it. He's thinking about it. But he just slams the chair down and walks out. Which is, this is all virtually identical to what happened at the last pay-per-view. So we've gotten like zero evolution in this storyline, but it's like 30 minutes worth of video packages to tell us what's happening. So it's like, hey, man. man. the money's in the chase. The money's <laughs> in the chase. It's Whose it. side is he on? We don't know. Don't Gotta think, tune into Impact. Man, this storyline is chasing me and I'm running away from it. So <laughs> that's the only chase I see here. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're really dragging out this storyline. But eventually they pair up and they become a VKM. You have any fond VKM story or uh, memories? You know, I have a fond memory of my cousin telling me about VKM. He used to watch a bit more wrestling than me uh, back in the day. And yeah. he he was trying to sell me on TNA something. They're doing this crazy thing where the old guys in DX are calling out Sean and Triple H. Uh, oh, it's so revolutionary. They're uh, calling out the guys in the other company. Oh, man. VK. And that, that was that was part of his selling point. Is uh, It's, <laughs> it's subtle, so, right? It, it's so silly where he was like, hey, you know, you know why they're called VKM, right? <laughs> I was like. 
And I was like 10 at this. And I was like, why? Vince came up, man. That's genius. Oh man, the layers. <laughs> it's like an onion. Oh man, I just gotta, I gotta take it all in. <laughs> <laughs> so subtle, so bold. Uh, love it. Dude, uh, you, you know, the funniest part is that it really never amounts to anything, other than what you just <laughs> mentioned. They kind of just mentioned their names on TV, but ultimately they just—they're shooting, brother. Duh. They're shooting, are they? <laughs> I can't, I can't, man, I can't wait till I get to that point and I get to hear like Don West and Mike Tanay like batter us over the head with, oh, you know what, VKM, I think it stands for something else. <laughs> uh, professor. Oh, I'm excited. That that That's great. All right. I'll bring you back on for that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anything else on that street fight there? I think we kind of covered uh, it. No, you know, it was pretty much fine. Uh, I liked the referees bumping and there's yeah. a nice little detail later that uh, I can bring up to that. Yeah. Um. But this next match here was weirdly like the match I was probably looking most forward to because um, it's it's AJ Styles versus Sean Waltman with a special guest referee, Jerry Lynn. So of course, this is AJ Styles versus Sean Waltman or as the crowd in the impact zone calls him. X-Pac. <laughs> <laughs> they were not clued in no. about who owns certain trademarks. There was both an X-Pac chant and a 1-2-3 kid chant during this match. So God, that's right. There Sean, was. Sean Waltman was the third name that they wanted to call him. <laughs> but uh, So I'm assuming you're not too familiar with Sean Waltman's TNA run here in 2005. Not overly, no, no. I'm going to tell you this. Because at this point in TNA, you had a lot of veterans coming in. You had a lot of, you know for lack of a better term, T, uh, WWE guys, WCW guys, like I said, you have Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and DDP coming in. Kings of wrestling. Oh, they dressed up like the Elvis. The real kings of wrestling. Uh, look, I'm trying to put that out of my memory, so I would prefer you just never bring that up again, <laughs> if you could, thanks. Um, Imagine, though, if we had those three against, like, Claudio and Hero <laughs> for, hey. for the KOW name. It could still happen. I could see that in AEW. Oh <laughs> book it. TK, book it. If you're listening. Put the money down. <laughs> but, no, I bring that up because Sean Waltman is like a diamond in the rough when it comes to that. Because he's working his ass off in this era. Like, he's 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 in shape. He's, uh, like he's, he's built like one, two, three kid. Like, he's, he's in good shape. He's moving around really well. And he seems motivated. Because I also... I do a timeline on like early 2000s WWF and I've seen X-Pac and X-Factor and then like afterwards it's like in the invasion like as like cruiserweight champion and he seems so defeated at that point but I'm seeing him here a few years later and he has like a pep in his step um, getting like he's getting to phase guys like AJ Styles so I can't really blame him but I, I love I'm so far I'm loving Sean Waltman's run in TNA here. I, th I think because he had a match against Raven at the last pay-per-view. That was really good. Um, really consistent, dude. As he was throughout his entire career, I guess. Um, but commentary is doing a great job here at explaining the history between all these guys. Because Jerry Lynn has faced both these guys in his career. And he's teamed with both guys. I think he was even uh, tag team champions with AJ in the early mm -hmm. TNA days. And... Uh, but the story here is that Sean, there was a King of the Mountain match at Slammiversary, which both X-Pac and AJ were involved in. And X-Pac basically cost AJ the title there 
by turning on them. I guess, I mean, they were facing each other, but they were kind of like formed an alliance, but then X-Pac kind of turned his back on them. So that's kind of like the thread here. Um, but as far as the match goes, I mean, I love the story that they're telling where like AJ is using his pure athleticism and his youth, but X-Pac has the cunning, he has the veteran kind of abilities. And that's kind of in the beginning, you have AJ hit like his massive drop kick and then he flips over the ropes to the outside on X-Pac. But then X-Pac is, you know, he uses Jerry Lynn to flip out of an arm bar. He, he's rolling out of the ring for timeouts. He he atomic drops AJ dick first into the ring post. So oh, it's like so it's like different styles. Pardon the pun, and but like that, yeah. that 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 bit you mentioned where he kind of uses uh, Lynn to get the leverage to flip yeah. out of the arm lock. Usually, I'm not a huge fan of spots where um, the wrestler will use a referee for mm-hmm. leverage uh, because it just it 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 always kind of takes me out of it. It looks a little too unrealistic for my taste. But I really liked it here because of how much importance they were putting on mm-hmm. Jerry Lynn as the special guest referee. His history with both guys, you know. Like um, Shane Douglas in the pre-match interview was kind of stirring the pot, kind of like, oh, who, who's going to be your favorite here? And I liked Waltman kind of like pushing those boundaries by putting mm-hmm. his hands on him early. Yeah, no, I agree because it's like, oh, this is my buddy Jerry. He's going to help me. So, hey, come here and help me. But Jerry Lynn's like, mm-hmm. what? I was just standing here. Um, but then uh, later in the match, man, I love this spot. So Waltman goes for the Bronco Buster. But oh, H- so oh. good. Dude, this is so smooth. So AJ pops up, tosses him in the air, catches him in a Styles Clash, Styles Clash position. But Sean just fights out of it, kicks AJ in the face to get out of it, knocks AJ in the corner, and hits probably the meanest looking Bronco Buster I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so good. Like, honestly, just, just how much they were able to get out of a Bronco teaser, Bronco yeah. Buster teaser. Like, to think that they got a sequence out of that. And, of course, it's AJ Styles. He's mm-hmm. an insane athlete. Like, the things that man is able to do, it's ridiculous. And this is 05 when he's probably at his most athletic. Yeah. Um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, I think... No, so uh, Waltman goes to the top rope because AJ's on the outside. There's a somersault onto AJ... Busts open AJ's nose, so we got more blood here. Um, but then AJ, I brought up that atomic drop into the ring post earlier. AJ does the same thing to X-Pac here. So kind of a, a, a turn of, turnaround's fair play kind of deal here. Uh, back in the ring, AJ goes for a suplex, but Sean Waltman lands on his feet and gives him like a mule kick to the balls, followed by a Northern Lights suplex for a two count. Um, I like how they're... Cause you know, Sean Waltman's not the not, he's not a mic guy, right? He's not like a character guy, but he's doing things in ring physicality wise that kind of uh, make him the heel that kind of reinforce mm-hmm. that he's the heel in this match, which is just so good. Like very subtle, not, not, like, subtle may be the wrong word, but he's very smooth with it. Seamless. Um, AJ eventually uh, gets X-Pac in a backslide transitions into a styles clash Hits it. With a with an with a double underhook first too. Ooh. Like he Ooh. deadlifts uh Waltman up with the double underhook into the Styles Clash. Like Yeah. How dare he be that good? Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. The right. audacity 
of AJ Styles to be such an <laughs> athlete in 2005. Crazy. God. The things he was doing. It's, it's offensive how smooth he was. But uh, he hits it only for a two count, though, which is great. You don't see a lot of uh, kickouts of the Styles clash in this era. Um, so he he can't beat him with a Styles clash, AJ. So what does he do? He goes to the top rope and goes for the spiral tap, but misses and X-Pac hits the X-Factor for a two count. So this is another occurrence of kind of two generations, two different mentalities. So because when AJ hit his finisher and it didn't win, he just went for a bigger move. But X-Pac hits his finisher, doesn't win. So what does he do? Well, he just go, goes outside and grabs a chair. Mm-hmm. He uh, grabs a chair, wraps it around AJ's leg, goes to the top rope like he's going to crush his leg. But Jerry Lynn steps in. He's like, hey, don't do this. This is a normal match. We're not going to have any of these this hullabaloo in this match. So Jerry Lynn takes the chair off of AJ's leg, throws it to the outside. And Xbox pissed. He's like, come on, man. Remember, you know, 15 years ago or whatever when we were together. Um, so as all this is happening, Pac and Lynn are going back and forth. AJ tries to roll up Xbox, but Xbox grabs the rope to prevent it. But then Jerry Lynn kicks X-Pac's hands off the rope, which allows AJ to roll up X-Pac once again into the Styles Clash position. Hits it for the second time, gives him the win. So AJ Styles gets the win here with kind of an assist from Jerry Lynn. But man, this match ruled. I loved it. Surprisingly, this was my match of the night. I was kind of expecting it to be Joe Sabin. Um, But this one really kind of caught me off guard that uh, Sean Waltman was doing stuff like this yeah. uh, at this kind of later stage in his career. You're absolutely right. I thought he did um, so much to kind of ground himself as a heel. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't like slowing down or anything. He didn't like put AJ in a headlock for five minutes or whatever, Yeah, you know, but he was doing small things to kind of put over that he's kind of this wily veteran. He's in a sea of younger quicker, better talent, and he's Mm going to take any chance he has to kind of find an advantage, and he pays for it. He completely eats shit for it, and it's just simple kind of classical wrestling logic um, done brilliantly by two guys from two different generations. Yeah, exactly, because you have that great storytelling storytelling element from Sean Waltman, the veteran, mixed in with the the modern flair of AJ Styles. Like we mentioned all the crazy ways he got into the Styles Clash, the Spiral Tap, all that stuff. So I thought it was a, a great blend of Styles. Uh, styles, whatever. But um, yeah, as I'm talking, I think I, I might actually agree with you. This might be my match of the night as well. It's definitely, you know, it's it's one and two, definitely, between this and the, the Saban Joe match. But um, great stuff there. But after that, we have the X Division Championship on the line. Christopher Daniels, the champion, defending against Petey Williams. So kind of a weird dynamic here. Two heels going one-on-one against each other. But I think they made it work pretty well. Um, yeah, did, it, did anything in particular stick out in this match to you? Uh, yeah, Petey slingshotting himself over the top rope. And hitting a Hurricane Rana. Like, yeah. like I know this is the X Division, and we're kind of conditioned to want, like, big action, you know, flashy spots. But 
even that one caught me off guard. Like, whoa, that is that is a bit more than I was expecting. That was extremely great. Uh, there was a small detail that mentioned that, that uh, was brought up here where Mike Tenay again and Don West, God alone, uh, they bring up that if you check your formats and your programs, this mm-hmm. is not the referee we had scheduled for this match because two of them got knocked out. Oh, I was ago. wondering. I was sitting here like, hold on a tick. Didn't we just Wait see this referee? Just a second. <laughs> this is not who I paid for oh. to see referee this match. But yeah, Slick. I thought that was just a nice little touch to make everything in the company kind of just come together, make mm-hmm. it feel cohesive uh, as a show. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this is a good match. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, not nearly as much as the other two, but it's, yeah. it's good. It's crazy when, when these two are going one-on-one and it's not even like a highlight. I mean, it's like you said, a really good match. Um, I think the heel-face dynamic kind of took away from it a little bit because the crowd didn't really know who to cheer and who to boo. Um, but I think they did a good job at kind of like going back and forth between heat spots. Like both of them kind of got one, which uh, sounds weird on paper but they made it work for sure um you brought up that her and Kenrana spot that pd williams does it's weird that's like almost just like a a commonplace spot for him in this era but it's amazing nonetheless uh he goes for it a second time but daniels catches him and hits a brutal looking power bomb onto the apron um they're in the ring kind of going back and forth like i said and then samoa joe comes out to observe uh, he doesn't really factor into the match at all, but he's just kind of there in the background, basically uh, foreshadowing that he's just going to take the title off of whoever wins this match, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in the tournament, technically. I don't know if he wins. I don't remember who wins the tournament, but I know Samoa Joe becomes X Division champion very soon. Um, we're kind of dipping our toes into that Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels kind of era yep. of the X Division, mm-hmm. which is arguably the greatest era of TNA. Um, but towards the end, uh, so Daniels goes for the BME, but before he can walk over to the turnbuckle, PD picks his ankle and locks in the sharpshooter. Uh, Daniels gets to the ropes, but, uh, PD picks him up and goes for the Canadian destroyer, but Daniels blocks it. Daniels then goes for the angels wings, but PD Williams sprawls out of it. So they're kind of, they, they've clearly scouted each other. Both have Mm -hmm. been, uh, main fixtures of the X division for a long time. So they're clearly playing on Hey, I know what your, your weapons are and I'm going to counter them. Uh, and I thought the finish was kind of fun. It was kind of, it felt kind of WCW in, in some ways, but sure. it's like, I, I liked it. So towards the end, a one who's out there with PD, he distracts the referee. And while he's doing this, he hands PD Williams, a chain to hit Daniels with presumptively, but in the other corner on the other side of the ring, Daniels already has a chain wrapped around his fist and Petey turns around and gets clocked with it. And then Daniels hits a, one of the most beautiful BMEs I've ever seen in my life, lands it perfectly. And Daniels gets the win, retains his title. And, you know, I brought up the weird heel heel dynamic, but I think that played into the finish really well. Cause he had both guys kind of being shady in opposite corners, but Daniels was able to uh, be a little quicker on the draw here. Yeah, it was a good match. I didn't think they had the most kind of natural chemistry. There were a few yeah. moments where they were doing the more kind of quick-paced, kind of fluid sequences, and they, were, they weren't they were quite on the same page mm-hmm. the whole time. But I did think they did something really good here. Um, I kind of felt bad for Petey Williams. Sort of the whole 
narrative uh, kind of keywords they were going into this were, is Petey Williams a one-trick pony? Um, mm. Kind of, is it just the Canadian destroyer yeah. that creates his success? And they kept kind of trying to put over that, oh, Petey Williams has these different tools in his arsenal, but he doesn't win at the end, so nothing's really proven. Yeah. Um, but that's just a, a small thing for me, honestly. Uh, I don't think it did PD any favors, but they they put on a good match here. Yeah, I would agree. I think because PD, unfortunately, he kind of falls under that like Sanjay Dutt kind of tier where he's like constantly yes. involved, but he's not. He was X Division champion in earlier months and years, but from this point forward, especially with Samoa Joe coming in, you have AJ Styles coming back in the X Division at some point, and then you have other people coming in and out. You know, PD kind of he's always there. Like I said, he does the whole Scott Steiner thing later, which is. <laughs> one of my favorite parts of his career but yes um and you know you're you're exactly right you know they're kind of really hyping up the fact that he's a one-trick pony or at least daniels is don west does a good job at being like ah well he does other stuff you know suplexes uh sharpshooter but um yeah so uh i think both guys yeah they worked really hard in this match and i enjoyed it um but after that we have our main event Poof. The NWA World Heavyweight title is on the line. In a dog collar match, Raven, the champion, versus Abyss, uh, accompanied by James Mitchell, who is newly his manager, which uh, that's like all I remember of Abyss is him being managed by James Mitchell. But there was a point where he was just kind of like a, a loose, like off his chain kind of kind of monster. Yeah. But. James Mitchell's so good. Such a good manager for Abyss. I thought this pairing was perfectly. What about you? Uh, we were talking earlier about kind of hype videos. And one of my favorite things about this hype video where, you know, we're, we're putting it over. Raven versus Abyss. This clash of kind of two uh, kind of more crazed, hardcore guys. Mm -hmm. And like half the video is about whatever Jeff Jarrett's doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Half of this like three, uh... four minute video it was just Jeff Jarrett going, I'm getting my title back. He's going to find a way. I'm getting my baby back. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I didn't bring up every segment, but basically throughout the entire show, Jeff Jarrett's running around backstage asking everybody where Rhino is. Hey, I got my guitar. I'm looking for Rhino. He got, I got the welcoming committee ready for him. But then... Um, he said that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he said, I'm the welcoming committee. Oh, my God. He was, like, look. shouting at Zabisco. <laughs> Larry Zabisco's oh, back so there. Good. Hawaiian shirt. Doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't yes. know what company he's in. But um, I'm going to tell you, we, we could beat up on it, but it, there's a swerve at the end that I did not see coming, and I think that's all, like, how it was laid out earlier in the show. So I'll give him credit for that. Credit where credit's due. But, um, yeah, you, like you said, they had Jeff Jarrett intertwined in the pre-match package. So it's basically, well, actually, I guess he didn't really factor into the match. So I guess mm -hmm. I, I was about to say like, oh, he's going to get involved in the match or some sort, but he did, he did not. So right, maybe uh, jokes on me, thought, I guess. I actually thought, uh, I was actually kind of surprised because, you know, they spend the whole pay-per-view hyping up where's Rhino, where's Rhino. And you're kind of thinking, well, this is the last match he's probably going to get involved. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, we get a pretty clean finish at the end of this mm -hmm. without too much chicanery i thought that was actually a, a, a nice way to kind of set things up and then mm -hmm. lead into the angle later on yeah this is a weird period because when i think of tna and the nwa world title i think of jeff jarrett 
you know, and like Sting and Kurt Angle and Christian, even guys like DDP, you got a title shot early. I can think of like these wrestlers, but this is this weird era where it's like deathmatch NWA title match. Yeah, like the hardcore guys, Raven, Abyss, Rhino gets involved later. Um, kind of like a lost era almost of TNA. But um, so yeah, we got a dog collar match. So of course they're both uh, have the dog collars on with this chain in between them, and uh, they're building it up as a no surrender match. So nobody can, there's no submissions and nobody can throw in the towel. Um, which I like, you know, the pay per views called no surrender. Like, okay, <laughs> I get it. Might as well. That's fun, I guess. Um, but man, lots, lots of chaos in this match. Um, like right off the bat. So like Raven gets kicked in the face by Abyss, gets knocked out of the ring. So Raven just goes berserk, just starts tossing like a shit ton of chairs into the ring. Every chair he can find, he's throwing it in there. He's like throwing it at Abyss. So Abyss has to like dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge away from these chairs. Um, But as Abyss is like dodging these chairs, I guess, I think I blinked and missed it. I don't know if you caught it. Raven, like a, a chair gets set up in the corner. I think actually Abyss had set it up. Did he? Okay. Yeah, he okay. was trying to get Raven through it. Gotcha. Okay, so I was wondering, like, when did that happen? And I didn't bother rewinding because Impact Plus is a shitty ass app. So if I tried to rewind, <laughs> I would have to like re put in my credit card information and all that, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, the chair is set up in the corner, and they do all the spots you do in chain strap match kind of deals where you pull the chain and. Like Abyss went face first into into the chair. Uh, mm-hmm. They did that through t- a few times in this match, where like they'd be on opposite corners of the ring post, and somebody would pull the chair, uh, pull the chain, and then they, their opponent would go into the ring post and stuff like that, which I liked. Um, towards the beginning, Raven pulls out a table, sets it up ringside, um, which comes into play later, but they don't go through it at this point. Uh, Abyss, man, this this spot looked brutal. So Raven is prone in the ring abyss puts a chair on top of raven goes to the second rope and hits a splash onto raven just nailed it like flush looked really good um stacks he's abyss then stacks all these chairs it's like nine or ten chairs in the ring puts raven on top of the chairs and then abyss goes again goes to the second rope and goes for a leg drop but that goes to the well one too many times, I guess. And then uh, Raven misses. Raven gets out of the way. And Abyss lands ass first on these chairs. Um, which, what else would you do after that than pull out a staple gun? Oof. So, he has a staple gun. Raven does. And I think it's like a dollar bill that he has or something. Mm-hmm. And he Abyss, uh, he staples it to Abyss's face. Or his mask, I guess. Which, when I saw it, I was like, man, he stapled that right to his face. But I think it was just on his mask, no? Yeah, it's a nice little trick. Yeah. Because <laughs> Mike Tanay is like, ah, no more. I don't want to hear anybody say that these staple guns aren't loaded. Which I've said that before when I've, when I've reviewed these shows. I was like, oh, there's probably they no are, staples in there. They are absolutely loaded. Like, yeah. <laughs> these guys would totally take that spot. Like, no questions asked. Yeah, for sure. Uh, both guys are bleeding. It's brutal. They fight to the stage area. Uh, Abyss and James Mitchell set up three tables. So you have two tables next to each other. 
and then you have one table kind of perpendicular to those next to the ramp. So Abyss goes to choke slam Raven through these two tables off the stage to the floor, but Raven counters and knocks Abyss off the stage through the tables. But I like this spot here because you have Abyss laid out through these tables, but they're still chained to each other, remember? So Abyss grabs the chain and from the floor, from, you know, he's knocked out, but he pulls the chain, which rips Raven off the stage and sends him through the other table that's set up, which is like something I, I didn't see coming at all. But it's like, I, I love the psychology so there. It's so good. Like, uh, Raven has done his fair share of dog collar matches in his life. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's he's sort of a pro of mixing in those little bits of uh added psychology that comes that can only come with a match like this mm -hmm. and uh, I, I like that he's able to space it out he's able to uh include these little moments of cleverness to kind of balance out with these huge big hardcore set pieces yeah absolutely um they get back to the ring eventually uh raven hits the raven effect ddt or even flow raven effect whatever he's calling it at this point uh for a two count on Abyss, which causes Raven to uh, go to a different level, and he wraps the chain around the neck of Abyss and hangs him over the top rope with it. Ooh, I guess that's you have a dog collar match. I guess you have to do that spot at some point. Yep, yep. It, it's it's kind of uh, you can't not like yeah. the opportunities there. You might as well. <laughs> uh, looks brutal, um, but as Abyss is uh, hanging. From this chain, James Mitchell gets involved and just canes the shit out of Raven with his little, uh, not a Singapore cane, just like a, a cane that you would walk on. Cracks it over his back, lays out Raven. Um, but at this point, Abyss just kind of takes the dog collar off, which I feel like in this kind of match, you shouldn't be able to just like like unsnap it and, and go sure. about your but way. I think, I think the kayfabe there is... What is this referee gonna tell Abyss stop? <laughs> like, I guess. Yeah. Who's who's gonna tell him not to do that? Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it is definitely noticeable. Yeah, for sure. Um, but Abyss, as per any Abyss match, grabs a bag of thumbtacks, and uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're like gimmick thumbtacks or what it is. But in TNA, when I see it, it always looks so aesthetically pleasing when he lays it out like it's like one solid piece like one solid bed of thumbtacks yeah i think i think it's how he lays it out a lot of guys kind of tip it over and let it fall mm. but abyss will lay it on the mat and kind of pull the bag out so it kind of comes out in that one whole piece you mentioned so it's it's really a f just a small flare of presentation he's treating the thumbtacks with love like uh mm -hmm. do you watch spongebob at all Yes. <laughs> Do you know the episode where uh, this is the second episode in a row where I've referenced SpongeBob, but uh, SpongeBob, he's like building a Krabby Patty and he like puts the pickles on the on the on the patty and then lays the cheese over it and tells him. Yes. That's, how, that's how I picture Abyss laying out the thumbtacks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and you know, another thing I noticed uh, with the thumbtacks is, uh, again, we come back to the brilliance of Mike Tanay and Don West. The only announced team in wrestling history to know that it's thumbtacks inside the bag. We don't get, <laughs> yeah. we don't get any of this, oh, by God, King, what must be in that bag? 
He's gonna hit him with a sandbag. It's sand <laughs> in that bag. Oh, it's thumbtacks. Oh, the humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Tanae and Wes are like, oh my god, it's a bag of thumbtacks. He's gonna bring out the thumbtacks. It's like, All right, yes. we've seen this gimmick before. Lay it out. Thank of this. you. You watch your own show. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's a great point. They're like not treating the audience like they're idiots. Like. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we've seen you do this. That's obviously thumbtacks. We know what's going on. Yeah. But nowadays, now it's like such a thing. Sometimes it'll be like Lego blocks or uh, sure. dildos or whatever AEW is doing over there. But um, so Abyss, so he lays out the thumbtacks and then he rips Raven's shirt off, which is a, a little bit of psychology that I like because he wants the uh, he wants Raven to get the full brunt of these thumbtacks into his skin. So Abyss tries to uh, superplex Raven off the top rope into these tacks. But then Cassidy Riley comes out. The uh, I guess the newest member of Raven's flock. Mm-hmm. He uh, Cassidy Riley. He's been in these like X division matches, scramble matches before. He's just kind of like a an enhancement guy, for lack of a better term. But I guess he's now a part of Raven's faction here. Uh, and you know this because he comes out wearing you know the black shirt and Daisy Dukes and all that. But uh, Abyss just takes Cassidy Riley and choke slams him over the top rope through that table that was set up in the beginning of the match. Um, so Cassidy comes and he goes, uh, but <laughs> this allows Raven to kind of recover because when Abyss goes back to the corner for the superplex through the tacks, Raven slips out and power bombs him through the thumbtacks, but, uh, only for a two count amazingly. And, uh, Raven eventually, uh, he goes for the Raven effect, but Abyss counters into the black hole slam for a two count, which is another case where I noticed that in this show, there's a lot more like false finishes off of finishers than you would typically see in this era. I don't know if that's like somebody new was booking or whatever it was. Um, but ultimately, Abyss picks Raven back up, but Raven hits the Raven effect DDT onto the thumbtacks, and this gives Raven the win. Retains the NWA world title in a brutal match. Uh, There's post-match shenanigans here, but uh, as far as the match itself, what did you think of it? I thought it was really good. Um, Just a nice, hardcore spot show. It's given a little more depth with kind of the little things that Raven kind of brings to these matches. Um, You can tell that he has so much experience in them that he knows how to get the most out of it. Uh, Everyone's looking motivated. They're playing to their strengths. It doesn't go 45 minutes. Uh, just mm-hmm. all good things. And the right guy wins. It, it's it's a strong match. Like it's I'm not going to say yeah. that everyone should go out of their way to see it. But uh, I can't imagine people watching this pay-per-view in 05 were upset with this match. Perfectly great way to end a pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You had all the chain match kind of tropes, but they were done very well. And uh, plus, you know the abyss kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, their characters blended well and this match type made sense. The right guy went over. Um, and then it's building to something else. So after the match, Raven's celebrating and, uh, the show is about to go off the air, but, and I, I bet you're thinking this as you're watching, watching this, you're like, man, this show needed more Jeff Jarrett. Just a touch, just mm-hmm. a little bit more Jarrett. A little double J never hurt anybody. So uh, Jarrett comes out with his guitar. 
looks at Raven and he's basically like, I'm coming for that title. So he starts walking towards the ring, gets on the apron, looks at Raven. And he's like, hey, Raven, I got some advice. Turn around. Raven turns around and gets gored by Rhino. Ooh, so Rhino apparently is in cahoots with old Double J here. Swerve, bro. Um, but like I said, they set this up like Jarrett was going to, you know, meet Rhino and he's going to they're going to scuffle at some point. But apparently they're together. And, uh, you know, we joke about TNA and how goofy it could be sometimes. But I didn't see this coming first time watching this show. Yeah, uh, uh, I haven't seen the week to week impacts from 05 uh i just watched this show mm-hmm. and the way it was building up i thought you know jared's com- gonna come out there's maybe maybe during the title match and rhino's gonna make the big save and i i genuinely did not see it coming that yeah. rhino was on jeff jared's side so uh and this didn't take up too much time i don't felt i didn't feel like it overshadowed what abyss and raven did and mm-hmm. it's not like it was completely out of nowhere. Obviously, it was a big thread throughout the show. So I thought it was a really strong way to end the show. You know, you had a good, bloody main event for the world title. You have your new hot guy coming in, uh, who's a, a fairly big name, mm-hmm. at least in this time. You know, it's a good way to end the show. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, didn't uh, there wasn't a lot of dead space in this show, is one thing I'll say. There wasn't, you know... It was, it was an efficient use of time. Now, nothing stayed too long that didn't need to. Um, but yeah, man, that brings the show to a close. No Surrender 05. Um, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely thumbs up. Uh, TNA yeah. at its best uh, had a really good knack for putting shows together that felt well-structured, that flowed easily, that you could just sit down and watch and i think this is like a prime example of what they were doing at their best and this isn't even like i'm sure they've had better shows than this more famous shows with better matches but the fact that you could just pick this show out from 2005 just sit through it all three hours it kind of breezes by nothing nothing Mm -hmm. drags you know uh there's never a point where you're thinking oh this is this is taking a turn for the absolute worst um I wish more shows these days were kind of patterned that way, honestly. Like, I feel like if AEW were structuring their big pay-per-views a little more like this, they might see, they might have much, much better shows instead of trying to stack everything up on a four-hour pay-per-view card, everything takes 20 minutes, you know. Um, Yeah, I think that's kind of a lost art. And TNA in 2005 were incredibly strong at knowing how to pace a show. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, maybe Lance Hoyt can uh, eventually let AEW know <laughs> how to pace their shows. Just got to pass on pass on that knowledge from 05. <laughs> Hoytomania lives lives on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the living legacy of TNA. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's a legacy. It's a legacy. Um, but yeah, man. Yeah, Joseph, thank you once again for coming on. Um, really great time uh, covering the show with you. Uh, where can everybody find you and uh, listen to what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. You can check me out on my YouTube channel. That's Joseph Montecilio. I do a bunch of video essays uh, about wrestling of the past and the present. Right now, um, my big projects are, of course, 
Walking the King's Road, I talk about the famous All Japan matches from the 1990s, and I'm also doing a 1990s retrospective that um, is underway. I just finished 91, so more of that to come soon. You can find me on Twitter, at Joseph Weirdness, if you want to hear all the different things I'm saying. And I do random match reviews on my blog. That's josephmontesilio.wordpress.com. And recently, I have been writing some freelance articles for fanbyte.com. So you can check that out there as well. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I love, I wanted to get you on because I saw you did like a lot of kind of unique stuff that not everybody does. Like, like I said, Japan kind of stuff. And I think you do some like old school Ring of Honor content on your channel as well. Oh, I love I love old school Ring of Honor. I think that's part of kind of the attraction that I had when you kind of let me pick a show to watch and you mm-hmm. had TNA 05. I was like, okay, uh, 05 is just such a great year in wrestling in general. And you yeah. have a show with Samoa Joe, AJ Styles on the card. That's that's promised quality. So good. Um, but I also do a timeline of Ring of Honor and where I'm at now is like end of 2002. So if you're if you're up for it, I'd definitely love to have you back on for maybe like a, a late 2002, early 2003 show for Ring of Honor. For sure, I think 03 is kind of when they start really taking off. Like I don't know how familiar you are, how familiar, wow, how familiar <laughs> you are with ROH in general. Um, but 03, they kind of start becoming the company that everyone really talks about and yeah. knows to this day. I watched it from 2006 and on, but everything before that, I kind of have like a loose knowledge of, but sure. um, I've covered most of 2002 at this point, And they're definitely like building up to, to what they would eventually, they're still like in the, uh, the basketball court, the Murphy rec right, center. Yeah. But, um, you see, I'm at the point where like CM Punk and smaller Joe are just getting there. And then, man, talk about dog collar matches. Don't, uh, punk and Raven have one in ring of honor at some point. Yep, that, that'll be around late 03. I think that's probably Raven's... I'd say it's his most famous dog collar match. Uh, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a really strong one. And um, when you do get to it, you kind of see the other ways he'll kind of incorporate dog collar psychology uh, for that particular storyline. So it's it's good stuff. Yeah, I can't wait. For, well, I'll tell you what. Every time I have a dog collar match on a card, I'll bring you back on. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the Just expert. The niche expert on this one stipulation. <laughs> uh. But yeah, man, I'll let you uh, enjoy whatever time it is. What, uh, 10 p.m. over there, right? Yep, almost 11. Uh, but I had a good time. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was, this was really fun. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for coming on. Once again, thank you to Joseph Monticilia for joining me on this episode. Such a fudging good time. Try not to curse as much. Such a gosh darn great time. Talking about some old school TNA. Go check out Joseph. Go check him out at Joseph Weirdness on Twitter. Check him his website out at josephmonticilio.wordpress.com. Such and check out his YouTube channel. Um, most importantly, that's where uh, is at least I became familiar with him. Does a lots of long form great content on there. Some some stuff you're not going to see from anybody else. On uh, the 1990s, lots of Japan content, independent wrestling content. Has a great video about Daniel Bryan and why he's the greatest wrestler ever. Awesome stuff there. Go check him out. And uh, check out my... Why don't you check out me too, huh? While you're at it. Check out apronbump.com for all of my episodes. As I mentioned out front, if you are into these TNA reviews and you would like to listen to some more or watch some more, go to apronbump.com. 
go to the episodes tab, click TNA, and that'll bring you to all of my TNA reviews thus far. Check me out on YouTube as well. Give me a subscribe over there. Starting to really uh, push forward with this video content on there. Uh, give me a subscribe. Give this video a like. Give all my videos a like. I mean, they're all fucking great. So what are you going to do? Give it a down vote? <sighs> Come on, man. And uh, yeah, I think that that is all daddy has for you today. So I'm going to make like Triton and disappear. <laughs> I didn't have anything funnier this time. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Lots of great episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Got some Ring of Honor. Got some Progress. Got some ECW. Got to, got a lot of a lot of Philadelphia bingo halls coming up in the next few weeks. So, or London bingo halls. But... Lots of great episodes coming up, so give me a subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you all. Yeah. I'm hard.